I'm Holly Goodhead. I'm Plenty O'Toole. And I'm Big Titty Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Which means this is the sexiest lethal watching of them all. Okay. Oh, I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> oh, that's bad when you laugh at your own jokes. Yeah, but Jared, to be fair, for the first time in a while, that was actually a good one. <laughs> oh, jeepers. Wow. Hello. Hello, hello. hello, listeners. Hello, new... Hello, people who downloaded the show. <laughs> actually, Phil, how many people did? Come on now. Remember uh, this It was about 50 in the end, I think. 50? Yeah. 50 Downloading it. Wow. Uh, uh, can't do maths. We got 26 of the MP3 variety and then 16 of the MP4A variety. So I'm blowing some stuff off my keyboard. I go. 26 plus 16, anybody? 26 that's 42. There you go. Oh, yeah. Very good. Okay, 42 well, people. Well done, us. Spread the word. If you 42 people know 42 people, and then 42 people know 42 people, and then them 42 people know 42 people, then that's a lot of people. It's a Ponzi scheme. Oh, yeah. We Hello, Jared. How are, you? How are you, Jared Boyle? Pretty. Oh, actually, I'm all right, because I wasn't feeling the best yesterday, and I'm still not feeling the best today, but it's all right. I've got the painkillers on the board. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Considering you're, you're Dr. G Fresh, you, you can prescribe yourself the good stuff, I bet. Oh man, I'd be all crazy on the paracetamol, motherfuckers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Paracetamol high. Sounds oh man, I'd be tripping on the power. What was it? What was it? Tesco, uh, Tesco own brand. This is going to be a very long show. Cool. Flu remedy. I know. It's got aspirin in it too for that extra kick. How are you, Marty Kilbane? I'm pretty good, Phil Doyle. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're back. Back. No Ben. No Benji. No Benji. No Benji. So smooth sailing. Yeah, because his feet are broken, and that's the. Oh, that's obviously the only thing that you can use Skype on. Yep. There is nothing else in the world that you can use Skype on other than the PlayStation Vita. To be fair, he's probably still throwing the fact that his feet had broken down. So that's true. Only like what months in the time that he got it. So I'd be swearing as well. Yeah. well. Congratulations to him on his new job, teaching the French English. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. Well, you could say pardon my French as he's swearing all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that was a joke. That, that was, was a good terrible. joke. I'm feeling good. This is going to be a good show, this. i got a good agenda. i got a quiz later on. This is going to be good. Well, then, let's do it. Yes!
Right, so this is the part of the agenda when you people talk about what films that you watch recently, like, uh, um, yesterday maybe, yeah, day before. But the main thing is, what was the what was the last thing you watched? What was when you watched something last? What was it, and was it good? Like Martin. Okay. Well, in between watching episodes of Gaming Game Center CX. Yeah. High five, Martin. Yeah, high five. <laughs> and as you went through in the last week. I've, I've watched quite a few, actually. Probably about one a day. Yeah, uh, sometimes I'm two a day. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, we'll, we'll just explain it. It's like this. It's an hour-long YouTube show, and it's this... Uh, well, it's a Fuji TV show, but it's on yeah. YouTube. Well, it's this Japanese man playing uh, old video games. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> It's, it's amazing because it gives out business cards as well, and you just think, "Wow, that's just so it's very, very funny." It, yeah, he's hilarious. He's like completely deadpan and also like a child at the same time. But anyway, that's not what I last watched. We're talking about films, so yeah, I've Jared. Feeling, Sorry, I've got a feeling. The last thing I watched was Dread 3D, but I've got a feeling that Phil probably wants to talk about that for his. So I'm going to say my second to last film, which I last last watched rather, which is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh. You do like monkeys as well, don't you? Mm, it's very good. Very good film. And it had uh, John Lithgow. John Lithgow, he's in everything that I'm watching at the minute because I'm also watching Dexter Series 4. Yeah. He's in, and I tell you what, he's, you forget how good at acting he is. And in those two, um, those two things, he's just amazing. Well, he's yeah, because really for a while he was, he was 30, uh, third rock from the sun guy, wasn't he? He was comedy guy. Oh, yeah, well, and that's the thing. In these two roles, they're serious, straight up. Yeah. In one, a bad guy, and in the other, obviously, he's suffering from dementia, and those both performances are astounding. So you Yeah, think... but is it as good as when he was in Cliffhanger? <sighs> you see, I don't know, because I always like him in Santa Claus. He's a great... <laughs> well, Oh, God. Oh, yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, Santa Claus in the movie. I forgot about that. He's the chief bad guy, isn't he? He is. So, but, but yeah, I loved that film. That's how you do a prequel Ridley Scott like did, that. Did you hear, Martin, that the director of the film has left the sequel? Yeah. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Yep. That's a shame. Yeah, they were talking about, there was like some kind of proposed list of directors and it was like, um, is it Guillermo del Toro? Basically <laughs> yeah, big right. name people were on there, like ridiculously big name, and they were going to get them. Which is a shame because I, I remember reading an interview with a guy after the first film and he was saying like, the second film was going to be like Full Metal Jacket with Monkeys. Well, yeah, well, you could tell he, he obviously, like, loved the series because you could tell during the film there were certain tropes that he hinted at, you know, like the whole horseback um, and they've got the apes on the horseback and also the nets and also the spears. They're all, like, tropes relating right to the first film. So there's obviously a kind of love there, the passion that he had for the film. So he kind of knew all about it. But it's a shame that he's not continuing on, really. It kind of, like, makes you wonder because, obviously, before this, the last Planet of the Apes film was that Tim Burton remake and it just proves you what can happen in the wrong hands, and in the wrong hands, it can be very, very shit. <laughs> very, very just proves shit. when you give anything to Tim Burton post Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't give him anything. Uh, Why is Johnny Depp like a monkey in that film? I'm surprised that he wasn't I like don't know. a cameo or something I, in it. I don't know if this was was this. I know he'd been in Edward Scissorhands, but I don't think this was at the height of literally just being in Tim Burton movies. I don't know because he got Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it. and that'll Tim do. Ross. One of the was, other, isn't it? One of the other. Was Renault and Ryder in that? Uh, she was not. I, I don't know. Because yeah, they're usually those. Maybe she was. His go-to guys. His A-team. 
This ape team. Ah. You. <laughs> Smooth. Thank you. Well, then I'll talk about my film then, which uh, indeed was uh, Dread 3D that I saw uh, beginning of the week. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I thought it was really good. Yeah. It was... Um, obviously, it, it, as a film, it stands within the shadow of the Stallone Dread, clearly. Which, you know, casts a long TV shadow. on TV recently. Yeah, it was. Cast a long shadow over all, for, all I cinema. I knew you'd say that. Oh, God's sake. See, God. You say that, but there's one thing that Dread 3D missed. Go then. And that's Rob Schneider. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Where, where's the slap button on Skype? I think it's from the, the screen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it got it bang on spot perfect. Uh, Carl Urban was great. The, the vibe of the film was so spot on with the comics. Yeah, it didn't, I know it didn't quite go down the, because um, there's like the campy, weird side of Joe Dread's Mega City 1 with like, you know, the kind of slightly uh, more weird. Yeah, kind of characters, weird. which they kind of, I think, were probably there in the background. You can see kind of like shops and stuff that kind of would kind of hint towards that, but it just kind of focused on dread shooting people in the face, hmm. which is all that I wanted, and it did it really well, like properly well. And I was, I was quite surprised at how you know when the people when people were shot in the face, just how much of their face you saw you saw kind of disappearing. <laughs> Yeah, it was. They didn't mess around. They, I know it was an eighteen. That was a hard eighteen. So fair play to them, even though it's kind of backfired and made, made sure they didn't make mm. any money at all in America. So we're probably not going to get a sequel. But you know, well, I think what they're hoping is that potentially, depending on maybe word of mouth and DVD sales, movie sales, it, it, they might have enough to do a similar low budget. Well, Type I, th- one, you I know. think I mentioned this on a, on a different podcast. Was like, um, kind of compared it hopefully to Blade. I don't yeah, think Blade possibly. did that well at the cinema when it came out. It did all right, but it didn't do great. But then it was like on the video sales. It kind of got like a big kind of thing. And then by the time Blade 2 came around, that had a bit of money thrown on it. And that was kind of a bit bigger. So, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> and then they stopped there. Yeah, there's guys... only two Blade films. Only two Blade films. Do you guys think that the whole 3D thing and it sold it being 3D, do you think that harmed? Yeah, it did. It definitely, it definitely had to done because... That's true. See, I'm quite lucky because the cinema I go to for 3D, when you go on a weekend, Saturday or Sunday matinee show, and it's only like 50p more than a normal show, which is like £4. So matinee show in 3D on a weekend is only like 450 So it it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really make you go... Now, I used to go to a cinema when I lived in Birmingham, and that was like £12 per 3D show. And, you know, that's hard. Like, that's hard to hand over. Yeah. Um, so I, I, a lot of people said it's because 3D hurts their eyes and all that kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's fine in films where 3D's kind of really shoved in your face and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Judge Dredd's one of those films that for a lot of it, if you flick your glasses up, it's it's flat. You know, there's yeah, it's it's mainly for, for just some depth stuff. And then obviously the most 3D stuff is the slow-mo stuff, which is in-your-face stuff. But, you know, that's few enough and far between to to not be overboard. So, yeah. you know, and I have to wear glasses whenever I go to 3D film. So I have like a pair of glasses and then these other things on top. Yeah, so that's like me. my eyes that's me all get, the time, baby. get tired up, you know, um, in 3D movies. And it was the other thing about 3D movies is obviously the inherent darkness that you get in in when they haven't corrected the contrast 
yeah. you know, when they've just converted it to 3D and left it like that, which I think the worst one I ever saw was Captain America, which was just hideous. It was just dark. You just couldn't see anything. Um, I, I dodged that in 3D. I think um, when I saw... Did I see Thor in 3D? That was quite yeah, dark. I, it's, it's I like saw most Captain America, I had my glasses up until it went blurry, and then I flipped them down. Yeah. Because it was so dark otherwise. But whereas Dread was just, just right, I think. You know, I didn't notice the uh, any sort of uh, contrast issues or anything. So I think they did actually think about it. Yeah. Which is, you know, they, they, they thought a lot about that film, you know, from the, the look of it yeah. through to the tone, through to the casting. It was all pretty much spot on. So it's going to be a shame. Choice, though. Sorry? you got to give people choice. Yeah, because yeah, it's about, I think the nearest, there was a couple of 2D shows, but they were they were far away. They were far, I had far away. There was none around me, and so it was literally 3D or, or that was it. So. Nothing at all. Hmm. In, my, in mine, they had a week's worth of 2D shows, and it was just once each day. And that was like 8 yeah. o'clock at night, so it was like, what was the point? <laughs> really it gone. Having that option. I'm like in bed. Yeah. So... So what did you watch last night, Gerard? Well, the last film I watched was actually Maranto, which was came off the back of uh, getting the raid on Blu-ray this week and mm. watching it on Monday. Mm. So Shazam, the raid, some hot shit. Uh, and then uh, decided to watch the previous director and Iko Uwais, um film Maranto. On net, it's on US Netflix. Watched that on uh, Tuesday, I think it was. What's that like? And some... Um, it's all right. It just it is not. It's not the raid, which is probably <laughs> its biggest problem. It doesn't have the holy shit. Oh my god! What the hell did you see that crap? Wow, kind of factor that the raid has. Yes, eco. There's enough ass kicking in it to kind of make you go right. That's all right. But it comes across as a lot cheaper. And um, does it does uh, it feel like a first film? Yeah, oh, very much so. And, and you know, I think the thing about the, the raid wasn't, I don't think, massive budget. Um, but it, this film just feels a lot cheaper. And I think, yes, it has that it has that first film kind of feel to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's all right. It's it's it just I think the problem is you when you watch it after the raid, you kind of just think it got so much better. You know, oh, so. the raid off oh, the raid. Well, I can't wait to the. I can't wait now for the, the sequel after watching the raid again, and then oh, watching raid two, the, raid harder. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys? Did you guys watch the? Because um, you know the story of the raid, which was originally he wanted to do this film called Baranthal or something, which was going to be set in a prison. Yeah. And uh, budgetary wise, they couldn't justify it, so they cut it down. They sort of cut down and made this other film, the raid, which was sort of tighter budget. Um, and now they're linking the what was going to be Baranthal into the raid, which is why it then got redemption and retaliation in America, I think. Yeah. Uh, but there is a very short, small teaser for Baranthal that they had shot, like, years ago. Is um, on the Blu-ray, is it? For... It, well, it's on YouTube. Oh, is it? I'll, oh. I'll, I'll acquire that later. It's very short. It's about a minute and a half, but, like, the last sort of five or ten seconds, you're just like, oh, damn! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Love the. I really want to get the raid. I'll be getting that at some point because that's such a good film. I want to ask a difficult question now because obviously the raid is very similar to Dread. Ah, but, have one. but it's not very similar. Well, no, it's not. But it's like saying tropes, yeah. Star Trek are similar because they're set in space. That, 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 Mr. Pedanto, shut up. The point is, raid or Dread sequel? Raid. Raid. There we go. Gotta be. 
man. Because I can, I can always read the comics of Dread and get you know more stories, but you can't read the Raid comics to get more stories. So the Raid, yeah, more film. Wow, logic there. Look at that, yeah, in your face, Marty. How about yeah. <laughs> you? Don't know what to do now, do you? You're all confused and shocked. I know. And Statham talks about James Bond film, the one I want to make. Hello, everybody. It's been a while, eh? I was off on a nice holiday to America, and while I was there, I went to a meeting about a new film. What I will be doing It's directed by a man whose name rhymes with Bicycle Day. That's right. I'm going to be in the new GoBots movie. I can't wait. Rumour is it that my old pal Sylvester Stallone will be in it as a robot, seeing as he's mostly synthetic these days anyway. It's going to be tops. I really can't wait. So, this week I'm talking about the completely unrelated topic of James Bond. Rather than do another top ten, I'm going to lay out my perfect James Bond film in the hopes that a top Hollywood executive snaps it up and makes it the next one after Skyrim Sword. So, here we go! Director! So, there's only one man who could direct the fantastic James Bond film that I have in mind. I'll let you try and guess. That's right, you've got it, it's Sean Levy! What we need is a director who can tackle all the important aspects of a James Bond film, and this man's resume reads like it was made for that very purpose. Action, The Pink Panther, Drama, Cheaper by the Dozen, Girls, Night at the Museum, Gadget, Cheaper by the Dozen, Villains, Night at the Museum too. In fact, the only area which he falls down is he actually hasn't ever made a film that's funny. And we do need a bit of humour in our James Bond films, don't we, Daniel Craig? Music. I vote that Randy Newman be made the new composer and theme tune singer for James Bond. You try and tell me that you couldn't replace all the James Bond soundtracks with the soundtrack from Toy Story and it wouldn't be one million times more awesome. You can't, can you? Plot. So, here's the rough outline for the plot what I came up with when sitting on a shitter the other night. James Bond is Scotland's greatest spy. For years he's uncovered priceless artefacts and stopped invasions from extraterrestrial... terrestrial... I can't even say that word. Extra, 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 extra dimensional beings. While out at the chippy, one night he meets a beautiful lady who has travelled from the past through a dimensional rift in a tree. She wants to prevent the evil blowhard from cloning dinosaurs as she knows this will destroy the future. Jason Statham, I mean James Bond, is the chosen one who will destroy the evil cloning factory based in the mountains of the Himalayas by inserting himself into a computer as a program in the Matrices equation. Throughout this journey he meets a colourful cast of comedic sidekick characters, all played by Rob Schneider. Action, drama, girls, gadgets, villains and comedy. It's all there! James Bond himself. 
Of course, there needs to be a top actor to play James Bond. Someone who can kick ass while remaining endearing to the audience. Who could that wonderful human being be? Well, there's only one person it could be. Me, you silly sausage. I'm James Bond. If anyone from Hollywood is interested in my pitch, please give me a call at 555 Jason Statham or email me at Jason Statham is James Bond at Jason Statham is James Bond.com. Ta-ra! Jason Statham talks about. <laughs> oh, Jason Statham, you are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh what a cat. Can you believe he said that? <laughs> I can't. I can't believe he said that. That's so funny. Uh, oh, about his mother as well. I don't believe it. Oh, dear. Anyway, anyway, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a bit of stuff for you now on the agenda. What do you think of that? Oh, I like agendas. It keeps me thinking. It does. Uh, because this week, um, there was, I think, the 50th, the 50 Bond Blu-ray box set got released. Yeah. Because this like year is... pounds or something. Oh, it's expensive. But you know what? Just to go off track immediately. You know, the I quite like about that Bond, um, the Bond box set is that there's a space in the back for uh, Skyfall. Oh, that's pretty cool. Is it really? Yeah, there is. There's a picture of it. It says, like, yeah, coming right. to cinemas soon. As like like an actual like space in the disc for it, so you can, when, when you buy it, you can just slot it into the rest of the box set. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's been fifty years since Bond's been on the big screen, and I think somehow we thought, you know, what would be good to see? You know, after, who's been the best a- apre Bond? You know, you've come in, was you've it, been Bond. Was it then, that? I'm yeah. confused. Yeah, it is. Okay. Kind of. It's like you know, you've been Bond, and then what? What, what do you do after Bond? You know, you've been like an iconic figure in cinema. What do you do? What do you do? And kind of like look at it, can kind of compare box offices and kind of see, you know, who who's the best and stuff. Well, there's only going to be one winner then. Or is there? Yes, there is. Because I know you're immediately thinking of Sean Connery, aren't you? Well, yeah. 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 And to be fair, he has if made... That's at- the criteria for who's the best Bond. He has made at the box office three point four nine one nine eight four nine three seven billion pounds. Wow, dollars even a lot of money, a lot of a lot of a lot of cheese made at the cinema. But his bonds really yeah, don't make that much money. To be fair, comparatively speaking, because you got Doctor No makes sixty, What Should We Love makes eighty. So I'm do some maths. Goldfinger makes 124, Thunderball 141, You Only Live Twice 111, Diamonds Are Forever 116. That's what, about 600 million or so? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, and then, like, um, he beats that in two films, near enough, with uh, Angela Jones and the Last Crusade at $474 million. And Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, $390 million. Does that, does that still work, though, uh, with regards to inflation or that? That's, and that's just the pure figures. That's not thingy for inflation, Martin. 
because my website okay. doesn't supply me with that detail. Curse you. No, <laughs> so I think, but there's a long gap between like um, successful films for Roger Moore, uh, for Sean Connery after Bond to like his first next big film, to be honest. Well, but yeah, but I mean, Sean Connery has been in more. He's been in a lot of films. After Bond, so instantly and he's been in better he's been in so much better stuff than any of the other ones the thing about sean connery is that he got he's found he's very lucky as an actor because he found like a new niche after being bond and that yeah. was that mentor or fatherly figure but it took and him 12 actually, years to find that niche though. a few films including indiana jones i mean if you literally just even go through all their movies post bond right yeah now i'm going to argue just because i love it that uh, Brosnan's best film after um, Diamonds Are Forever was was that classified as his last Bond, or would you classify Never Say Never Again? Uh, official Bond then. Official. Yeah. So Diamonds Are Forever then. After uh, Official Bond, uh, his best film was then Outland, which made twenty million dollars, which made nothing. But it's a great film. It's a great film. But it's interesting. Like, uh, yeah, he made thirty-seven million. Is that a bit? Highlander. That made six, uh, 12 million. Untouchables? Uh, 76 million. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? $474 million. Highlander 2, The Quickening? 5p. $14 million. Uh, <laughs> Robin <laughs> of Thieves? $390 million. Rising Sun? $63 million. First night, all right, I suppose. $127 Dragonheart, Dragonheart, uh, Dragonheart, Dragonheart, Dragon one hundred and four. Michael Bay's best film, The Rock, three hundred thirty-six million dollars. So he, he made big films, but the inter- what I find interesting, it took him literally ten years after the and Bond to actually find his work. Much after that, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but that didn't happen. Yeah. It's like Diamonds Are Forever makes one hundred and sixty million, and his next film to crack one hundred million at the box office is Never Say Never Again. Twelve yeah. years later, right. And well, then that's all right. the next big film after that is Indiana Jones, which is arguably down more to the franchise than it is to him being in it. So True. he had bonds, but you know, financially speaking, he 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 wasn't a draw for a very long time. Mm. Did you did you hear about Connery as well? I don't know if you know, but he was actually approached to play Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, trilogy. yeah, but he said Bobbitt's Nobbitt. He said, yeah, he said he didn't he didn't understand the script, yeah. so refused it. And because he refused it, he lost out on like four hundred million dollars or something like that. And that was why he actually took on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That'll pay off. That'll learn him. Yeah. Obviously, he, so Connery was arguably you know he was the first Bond. And then we've got George Lazenby, who, yeah. Who I'm going to say is the best Bond. It's, yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. And that's because, just because it's like his one film. Well, because he literally was just Bond. Yeah. He did a lot of Emmanuel oh, Peach movies, apparently. But um, literally, it was crap after crap after crap after crap, I think. And literally, that that was it. Oh, he was super. He was Jor-El in the Superboy TV series. Well, well done, him. Uh, um, but after that, it was pretty much not really anything spectacular. No, so not at all, really. From that point of view, I think, and I think, I think what everybody is praising Daniel Craig for doing now, George Lazenby did it first. The kind of uh, soft, it's not, not the soft the side real, of Bond, but the, no, the, the, the fragile yeah, side, the, the real Bond. Yeah. Hmm. 
you know, everybody goes on about Daniel Craig and that, but Lazenby did it first. Lazenby was the first of the sort of the the realistic Bond guys. Yeah. And then after that it went. Actually, it's hard to say because I think, although there's been like six actors to play Bond, I would say that they are all arguably different from each other. Yeah, they're all, they're all. Oh yeah, each one's different. Different from each other. I mean, because after Lazenby, you've got Roger Moore Bond, who was, you know, a raised eyebrow in a in a safari yeah. suit. You see, the thing as well as Roger Moore suit. Roger Moore was more famous. I'd say he was more famous before being Bond. He was actually more of a name during the sixties and seventies. Saint. The Saint, Persuaders. And to be fair to him, if you look on just just pure box office, his his bonds were more successful than the the, the Connery bonds. That was because though the Americans liked that kind so of kind of style to it. That kind of like yeah, that kind of wink, wink, nudge, thing. nudge. Yeah, exactly. Because you got um, was... uh, Live and Let Die does 161. Well, Golden Gun does 97. Spy Lucky does 185. Moonraker 210. Uh, Your Eyes Only does 195. Octopussy does 187. View to a Kill the classic 152. So each each one cracks 100 million dollars. You know. Well, I mean, Martin will probably know, and Phil, you might know, and I'm not too sure because it's been so long since I've seen a lot of his ones, but are any of his ones in any way without some sort of daftiness on it? I would say yes, and that there's... You, you've got your first few, um, Live, Live and Let Die and Man with Golden Gun, and I'd say... The Man with Golden Gun's dafty. It's daft. Really? That's N- all right. Knick-knack, three nipples. But, uh, yeah, that's all right, though, because they don't like play it up. He's not like that bad but other than that and i'd say i'd say personally a preference because i like it so much by all of me but there are probably some dafty moments in that but apart from that i would say for your eyes only that's probably his serious and i'd probably say that is that baron sandy yeah yeah come on that's the really one all right then right definitely then for your eyes only thinking about it is there anything that daft in a view to a kill yeah yeah, the fact that he's a, like, 60-odd man and he's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> other than, okay, other than that, he's wearing, like, a girdle through the whole film. But it hasn't got, like, um, Game uh, Point in the clown I, suit. I, it hasn't got the kind of... For your eyes only, um, Skiing Bond? Or one of Skiing Roger Moore Bond? No, no. Uh, for your eyes only is the one with the assassins and... Oh, the, the two boys. Uh, oh, yeah, I... Yeah. The, the, the weird-looking guys. What, they're, like, yeah. the worst-looking assassins ever. Yeah. With the glasses. Yeah, with the glasses and like the weird it's, after mod. Yeah, but it, in fact, I'd say the only the only like quirky bit in that film is the code to get into one of their um one of their research places in MI five. It was the bit where they were actually identifying the assassin, and that's because the tone that the code makes is nobody does it better. Um, yeehaw, boy, sheriff. Um, that's, yeah, oh, that's the, the Sony whistle over the worst, <laughs> over the, the best stunt with the worst sound effect. I think that is Living Let Die and Man with Golden Gun. Yeah, but after is Bond, it? Moore doesn't really do nothing. He does the quest. He does the quest. Yeah. Spice World. Yeah. Well, he pretty much retired though, hadn't he? Fly who loved me. <laughs> well, because he was, you know, he must have got. Made enough money off the bonds, he just didn't have to do anything after that. He could just... nice well, mm-hmm. no, let's not joke. Though he was in, he was in his sixties. Like I say, he practically retired after he'd yeah. been bombed. So no excuse. Probably thought, you know, I need to do this anymore. No excuse, Martin. I mean, he's like, he's like, he's he was practically 
57 when he did A View to a Kill, I think, was he? The looks, by the looks of my math, 56, 57. How, how old is he compared to Rog, to Sean Connery? I mean, they're like similar right. age, surely. Um, uh, well, Connery, Roger uh, was born in 1927. Yeah. Sean Connery was born in 1930, so he was older. Who, Connery? Oh, oh, no, Roger Three years, three years older yeah. than Connery. Yeah. Good lord. So yeah, so he didn't really do much after Bond. Then we got we got an interesting case in Timothy Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot all about old Timothy. I think when he took on Bond, it was a bit of a poison challenge. Well, they tried with him then to go back to hardcore Bond, didn't they? Again, yeah, because obviously they, they wanted to get um, what's his face uh, Bros- Brosnan. Couldn't do it. He was good at that time. He, what was it? Was well, he doing something else? Did he just Remington Steel? Maybe yeah. Remington Steel at that time, was he? See, here's the thing, because apparently Dalton and Brosnan were both approached during um, For Your Eyes Only. Oh, really? And they were like, yeah, but at that time... I didn't realise um, it was that early. Dalton, yeah, Dalton said that he was far too young. Cause he yeah, was... they wanted, that's right, they wanted um, Dalton really, really, he was 18 yeah. or something like that, wasn't he? Yeah, like, was really, really young. Really young. Assessment, yeah. And and the same with uh, Pierce Brosnan, because Pierce Brosnan's then wife was actually in one of the blonde girls in um, For Your Eyes Only. She was that Countess woman. So that's how they got to him. Yeah. And he was obviously at the time filming, he'd just about to start Remington Steel, so he couldn't do it. And then they were going to get someone else to do it, but then because Connery was coming back with that fake Bond, Never Say Never Again, they wanted someone established to continue on. That's why Moore stayed on. For yeah, because they needed him, his box office against the Connery box office. Exactly. They, they yeah. didn't want to risk a new person taking that on. Yeah. So that's why that happened. And obviously Dalton was far too young, so he's, he passed on it. He also said at the time he didn't like the direction of those Bond films that they were taking. He didn't like the comedy factor, which is why his is much more dark and violent, much akin to what it's like nowadays. Yeah, if I think especially Licence to Kill, that's probably closer to... Um... Yeah, apparently, um, Timothy Dalton's actually a big fan of the actual novels himself, so he did actually read them all, and he's actually a bit of a fan himself, so... I think I think Live in Daylights is my favourite Dalton one. Uh, I don't know, because I, I like the the, uh, the song. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he did, I mean, he did those two Bond films, then it kind of went off into... Um, there was the problems with the licence and all sorts get the next one done. And then his his career at the box office kind of never really recovered from that. He does The Rocketeer, but he doesn't really, like, make he it really kind of... The Rocketeer, which is good. The Rocketeer's really good, but he doesn't he doesn't become, like, um like the big cinema star that, that you would have thought he did. <laughs> it's yeah. probably the next thing. Yeah, pretty much. And Toy Story 3. Do you want to know a little funny, interesting thing? Is he He's actually quite a big theatre guy now, and yeah. apparently... He was Lord Asriel in the production of His Dark Materials, which obviously, in the movie version, was played by Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, Craig. Hmm. Daniel Craig who we'll come to in a bit. So, yes. Dalton loses the bond. Well, yeah. And then, it's what, uh, four or five years? Yeah. And then we get to the Bros Bond. Bros Bond. Who slams home with, where are we? Where, are we? where is Goldeneye? 1995, Goldeneye. $356 yeah. million dollars at the box office. That's yeah, probably the good. biggest bond. It's a good one. Goldeneye is almost... It's almost just... As if someone just sat down to write the, the most Bond film. The Bondiest Bond film. The Bondiest Bond film they could do. Mm. Literally, it's just it's it's just everything that you would have seen in 
every Bond film beforehand. And it's great as well. It is a very good one, yeah. But would we say that the rest of his Bonds kind of live in the shadow of Goldeneye? Well, Tomorrow Never Dies is a snooze fest. Well, I don't know. It's probably his best. Oh. His other best one. Snoozy. World is not enough. Snoozy. And Die Another Day is just hideous awfulness. Cracking Bond theme, though. <laughs> No, it isn't. Yeah, it is. But in Dying of the Day does $431 million. His best one film is The Thomas Crown Affair. Ah. <laughs> yes, so Dying of the Day, I think, becomes, like, the, at, the, at the time, the biggest Bond film ever. Oh, my but, God, which is just the most hideous thing stat ever. Yes, it is. $431 million. Oh, just, oh it, was, it was on recently. And I rewatched a bit of it, and wow. my word, it's so dated. I mean, it's only like ten years old. It's it's CG, they threw so much CG didn't, into it, didn't they? And it just ruined yeah, it. Yeah, it was shocking. shocking. What Bos? You know, with the uh, Bonds, because everyone else, you, you just t- tend to see like a row of Bond films together. But he kind of does a Bond, then he does like the Thomas Crown Affair or Taylor of Panama or Don- Dante's Peak. He's a funny sort of Bond too. I find him. I find him just an, a very odd Bond. Kind of not sit, sitting somewhere between Roger Moore and Sean Connery, yeah, kind of thing. He doesn't yeah. really. He's he's funny because he he doesn't. You know, Roger Moore is. I, I think every Bond up to then was, apart from I suppose you could say Dalton maybe was similarish to Connery, but every Bond up to then was quite their own person, and and Pierce Brosnan sort of, you know, it's as if they wanted the most to get a a Bondiest Bond actor. She would, would just be very bondy overall. You know, he, he sort of is this kind of weird Moore-Connery hybrid. What? Yeah. It raised eyebrows, but, you know, just that, the little, violence, yes. yeah, that little bit more sort of serious. Do you think that's because um, Brosnan's probably the first person to play Bond who grew up watching Bond? So he like he's he would have like cause he was born fifty three so he would have grown up on the bonds. That's true, yeah. So he probably would have had that kind of thing kind of impressed on him more. Whereas kind of Connery and Moore they were kind of doing their own thing because there wasn't anything else for them to copy. Mm, yeah. Like Moore had to kind of move away from Connery, which is why he did what he did. And then by the time he gets to Boston, he kind of grew up through all this kind of stuff. He's kind of taking his um all these kind of Bond things into him, and kind of plays it that way. Yeah. yeah. But his but I think. After the Bonds, after Bond, he's going to be one of the most successful for one reason and one reason only. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. <laughs> $602 million at the box office. That, so that outgrossed Last Crusade and other films. Mm. Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief, $226 million. However, however, really, when, when you say like 600-odd, it should really be 300-odd because Has obviously... Is all the men's partners going along with him? Oh, <laughs> he done some pretty decent stuff. I mean, the Matador's pretty decent. Yeah, he because he, 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 he was like acting, didn't decent. he? Yeah. Seraphim Falls yeah. is decent. You know, he did a lot of um, interesting I, stuff. Decent has things. Seen, has anyone seen that ghost film that he did with Ewan McGregor? Because I've heard it's good. No, oh, the one where he's uh, like an ex-spy or something, isn't it? Well, he's meant to be prime minister, isn't he? And um, he's even like a, he's yeah. like a ghostwriter, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. It was meant to be quite good, but I've not seen it. No, I've not seen it either. Yeah. So I mean, Bosbond, Bosbond. I think he is probably the most successful Bond at this point. Mm. Maybe not critically, but certainly financially, he certainly. Like, all of his films made a lot of money. It was all down to die another day. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So then, obviously, Die Another Day happens, and everybody kind of goes, what the living Christ was that? The what the living is... let die was that? Yeah, the franchise is put to one side, and then we get, in 2006, Casino Royale. Yes. $596 million at the box office. But, 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 but how can he be James Bond? He's got blonde hair. How can it be Bond? He's got blonde hair. He's crazy. He's got blonde hair. Makes no sense. Quantum of Solace makes $591 million. So those two films together probably outdid all of their uh, Connery bonds financially. And, and yet Quantum of Solace is probably the most misunderstood Bond film of all time. Well, it's, do you know why? It's, why is that? It's because Mark Foster wasn't... I think he wasn't an action director. Hmm. That's fair, because what was, was he did Crash beforehand? Oh, he did Crash and had Mark Foster done... Um, but to be fair, Mark though... Oh, was that him? He wasn't... I think so. But he, he wasn't a action director, but they had the Bond, the, the Jason Bourne stunt team in. So if they can't do like a good action sequence, then something's wrong. I think... Uh, See, I, I where a lot of people, I think, go, go down on Quantum of Solace is that he... he I think as a non-action director, I think he made the he made the mistake of thinking that action movies need to be Michael Bay movies, which yeah. is incessantly shaking cameras that make it very hard to really see what's going on, but might seem, you know, um, actioning. Yeah, and that's where it went. I think a lot of people got because you know there's a lot of that where the camera is just really rattling about. It's sort of you know Paul Greengrass kind of style and. I think Greengrass did it a lot better. I'm a bigger fan of the Bourne Identity for the reason that it doesn't have all that shaky the camera. Shaky cam. um, I, I really, I really hit shaky camera action movie. Um, wow, look at this! Ooh, it's all dramatic. I really, it's just, I think it's, I think it's lazy because I think it means they don't put enough effort into actually making the action look good. Hmm. They just wobble the screen around a bit. Like an action film, you, you shoot an action film. You film an action film like you film a musical. Well, yeah. look at look at all the best eighties action film. Not a shaky camera. To, you, the, the camera was back. You, you saw just what was have happening. a you have a big muscly man firing a machine gun and you film him. Yeah, job done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think shaky camera action is a real lazy way to try and make action look good. The other reason I hate um, Mark Foster is actually now putting him on IMDb. The first thing that comes up is a photo of him with Aaron Eckhart. Okay, and Brett Ratner. I now hate Aaron Eckhart. Oh, you can't hate Aaron Eckhart, though. He's, he's brilliant. He's standing beside Brett Ratner, and he looks happy. But he's the thinking man Thomas Jane. He's standing beside Brett Ratner. He looks happy. Oh, okay. But you know, it's difficult to kind of talk about... Um... Craig Apri Bond because he's not Apri Bond he's current he's Bond he's Bond he's current Bond yeah but if you, if you look at the other films he's done you know, excluding Bond he's done some very successful films Munich was quite successful he did successful, yeah, yeah he's done some pretty decent stuff in, in between E Bond because yeah. obviously there's a massive gap yeah um, Cowboys and Aliens everybody loved that film uh, Tintin which I still really I, I still thoroughly yeah, enjoy that film awesome and obviously the girl with the dragon tattoo as well yeah 233 so. million and then, obviously, his Dark Materials, the franchise had just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, I, I don't think that's his fault, though, to be fair. I think the directors yeah. fucked that up completely. But it still made $372 million. So it was still, I guess, not successful enough to warrant the put $300 million into the two sequels. But it mm. was, you know, it made a bit of change. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I think out of all those, it's probably probably our first thought in Connery is probably going to be the most successful Larry Bond, both I think critically well, and financially. But the problem there is we come back to the whole age difference. I mean, the whole fact that Daniel Craig is younger than a whole lot. I mean, he's probably his career is not even like as long as Sean Connery's career is. I think he's young. Yeah. 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 Okay, so far Sean Connery's in these. That that's the marker that Daniel Craig's got to beat. Okay, okay, folks. Uh, this is either the introduction to the podcast, <laughs> or I have saved the original file and somehow rebuilt the rest of the, the previous forty minutes of recording that appears to have gone away to nowhere. To the ether. Yeah, but we don't care because we've got a quiz. Oh. Or rather, I've got a quiz. And you know what my quiz is called? What is your quiz called? My quiz is called Audio Catchphrase. And now, here's the man with all the catchphrases, Roy Walker! That's the one, Jared. That's the one. So what does... I suppose you two are going to want to know what this quiz is about, aren't you? Yes, you are, aren't you? For Christ's sake. So this quiz, audio catchphrase, I'm going to describe to you a scene with Mr. Chips doing something. Okay. And you, and you have to tell me what that film is. Is this caught shite in or is it one each? Um, I've got six scenes. You've got one each. So you've got three scenes each. Okay, if you can't get it, pass it over. Yeah, and if it's, if it's tied, I've got a tiebreaker at the end. Okay. Okay, okay. So that's the quiz. Audio catchphrase. Simply say what you hear. Yeah? Say what you hear. Say what you hear. Say what you hear. So who's going to go first? Mm, flip a coin. I've got a coin. I'll flip this bit of paper. I am the top bit. Martin is the bottom bit. Thank you, coin master. Hold on. Who was the top bit? Who was the bottom bit? <laughs> I mean, not Martin was the bottom bit. It's Martin. I think. Martin's first. <laughs> Martin's always the bottom bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Martin, you ready? He's gone. <laughs> Why is he gone? Right enough, has he gone? Has he gone? Martin? Nope. <laughs> what was that noise? Martin, you're not doing us any favours with what we're trying to salvage from this episode. record. Hello, everybody. <laughs> What's up? He, he hasn't you? been there. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> what the hell? Who's been explaining the quiz? <laughs> the... <laughs> I told you I was going. Now I was going for a beer, and I've just come back. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's just start the quiz. <laughs> oh wait, wait. <laughs> Martin goes first. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The quiz, Martin. The quiz is. Are you yes. ready? <laughs> 
the quiz is called Audio Catchphrase. Okay. Audio Catchphrase. I'm going to describe Mr. Chips doing something, and then okay. you must guess what it is. Just, just say what you hear. Say what you hear, Martin. Say what I hear. Say what you hear. I see. Okay. Are you are you both ready? Yeah. Uh, now, yes. <laughs> I've got, as you might not have heard, Martin, I've got six scenes and a tiebreaker. So it's three each. Pass over to if you, can, if you can't get it. And okay. the winner wins the world. Okay. <clears throat> are you ready, Martin? I'm ready. I was born. Okay. Mr. Chip stands screaming a name into what looks like a makeup compact in an underground chamber. I'm going to say Thunderbirds. You're close, but you're not right. Oh. Gerard? Um, is it just what, what franchise it is or whatever? What film? Film? Yep. So Mr. Chips stands screaming into what looks like a makeup compact. compact. Screaming a name into a makeup compact in an underground chamber. Oh, it's Star Trek The Wrath of Man. Yes, it is. Oh, yes. Oh, come on. Makeup compact. How does that look? A makeup compact. <laughs> Too late to argue it now, Martin. Okay. I thought I thought that was a shoo for Martin there, but never mind. Right, Jared, ready for yours? Yeah, makeup compact. Shut up, Martin. Hey, old blood. Fucking down a mine. Right. <laughs> Jared? Yes. Mr. Chips. Is throwing a computer monitor covered in explosives down an open lift shaft. Oh, it's speed. No, you're not right. Ah, oh, rubbish. Over to Martin. Can I have it again? Yes, you can. Mr. Chips throwing a computer monitor covered in explosives down an open lift shaft. Um, oh, oh, I missed. I didn't. Oh, the, the cutout. Oh, okay, I've got it. Throwing a computer monitor. Oh, can I go back to me? Because no, I know what it Shut is. Shut up, Jared. It's Martin's turn. Boss. Computer monitor covered in explosives. Uh, already said it once. No, you didn't, because you keep on talking at the top of it. Covered in explosives. <sighs> Mr. Chips throwing a computer monitor covered in explosives down an open lift shaft. That is diehard. Ah, oh, motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> That's a point each. That's a point each, isn't it? What's my pen? So I can write down the score. It's one each. Yeah. <laughs> so that you write that down though, Phil. That was a G. That was an M. Uh, so it's Martin's go next, yeah? Yeah. Mr. Chips is in a jungle, covered in mud, holding up a flaming stick while screaming. That's easy. I'm going to say Indiana Jones. Wrong. It's Predator. It is Predator. Uh, that was obvious. Okay, you ready for your next one, Jared? Mr. Chips is suspended by his hands under a running water pipe as a Chinese man electrocutes him. Uh, Tango and Cash. No. You're close, but you're not right. Uh, I think I might know. Go on, Martin. Lethal weapon. It is. Oh, rush. <laughs> a Chinese man, he wasn't Chinese, probably, in Tango and Cash, yeah, was he? He was just... He was the big jaw man, remember? A white dude. Big jaw man. Oh, okay. Sucky. So two, two each so far, going into the last two. This is quite exciting. Are you ready, Martin? I'm ready. 
Mr. Chips is in the snow with a flamethrower setting somebody on fire. Mm, I'm going to say the thing. Oh, correct. Damn it. Well done, Martin. So, Jared, to take it to the tiebreaker. Mr. Chips is running up a flight of steps, followed by a load of screaming kids. What? <laughs> I know this one. <laughs> running up a flight of steps, followed by a load of cheering kids. Oh, oh, it's um, Rocky. Two. Damn it. Correct. Yes. Oh, so that's three. That's three piece. It's a tie. So tiebreaker. I'll say it. First person to see the name of the film gets the victory. Oh, blimey. Happy with that? Okay, go on. Mr. Chips is jumping out of a helicopter, catching a blue back man who is jumping out of a 30-story window. Can we have it again? Yep. Mr. Chips is jumping out of a helicopter and catching a bald black man in midair as he jumps out of a 30-story window. Matrix, Matrix. There you go. Yes. Jared gets it. Well done, Jared. Winner. I'm always the winner. Well done. He's the winner of audio catchphrase, but taking it to taking it to the tiebreaker, that was quite good. That was tense. Yeah, that was tense and sweaty, sweaty palms. Yeah, and even better, the the recording recorded as well, so even better. It's lethal watching. Right, that's the podcast. Excellent. I think, <laughs> I think that might actually be all of the podcasts if things don't go my way in the edit later on this evening. So we'll see how it goes. That, that was a good podcast. <clears throat> that was. That yes, was. was. Whether or not anybody else will actually be able to hear it, I don't know yet. So if if they didn't, they just heard us all putting our one cats over James Bond. Get in. Yes. <laughs> we like a bit. Yes, of Bond. Yes, James Bond. Yes, 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 yes James Bond. Oh, actually, we should all say Skyfall is coming out. I'm really excited. Yeah, I am as well. Yeah, it's been. I think it's been good trailers for it so far. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's all right. Yeah, especially yeah. the little, yeah, yeah. Um, the little yeah, yeah. link adjustment. That's just perfect bonds right there. Yeah, yeah, good trailers. Yeah, agreed. Agree. <sighs> well, it was eventful. It was eventful, guys. I feel all deflated now after this. I thought this was going to be awesome, and it's just, it's just all been kind of ruined by the stupid computer. I know. Come down. Never mind. Never mind, eh? That's never what, mind. That's what Lethal Watch is like. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time that's happened, so you know. For a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Like he obviously doesn't remember the laser cats. Well, they say that was a, that was a good laser cats. <laughs> <laughs> that was thirty episodes ago. That was. That was that was a long time ago. So we had a good run of form in doing that. I think. Well, you know, maybe this will come out okay. Maybe Phil out. will work some some, some garage band stroke audio file recovery magic. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, there'll be no podcast this week, folks. Sorry, bye. <laughs> oh, dear. I think that's the time for us to say goodbye to you. Yes, it is. Yeah, that it's was actually time. the end. I went for you to goodbye, say goodbye. everybody. It's the time to say goodbye. It's the time to say goodbye. Goodbye.
good time to say goodbye. Boats and hoes. Bye. 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 Lethal Watching was brought to you by Phil Doyle and Gerard Boyle. I'm Martin Cobain. In association with abadeducation.com. <gasps>